0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, we've been on this journey in Mark, and today we are coming to this climax, right? We're coming to the death of Jesus. For a year, we've been in the book of Mark, all of 2021, and for the year, the climax is today. But it's crazy when you think, we've been in it a year, but Jesus was doing ministry for three years. For three years, he's walking around. For three years, he's doing miracles, teachings. For three years, he's bringing disciples along and and coaching them and teaching them so they would be able to go and start the church. For three years, he's healed people. For three years, he's fought against opposition. For three years, it has all come to this moment. It's all been building to this moment. And if we look even bigger the history of man, right? From Adam and Eve and their first sin to the generations after generations that'll follow all of us long after we die. All of mankind, this is the climax. As we've all sinned, as we've all been part of, a part of this, this story that Jesus is about to take our sin upon himself on the cross, this, this part, this story, this day is the climax of all of this. And and so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open it, read it with us, open the app, open the journal, open the book, and, and dive into this. Don't let it just be spoken over you. Read it yourself. Live this with it. It's in Mark 15 that we're going to be sitting in, uh, starting with verse 21. Up to this point, if you missed the past couple weeks, if you don't know, Jesus has been arrested. He's been out teaching, and they come and arrest him after the Last Supper. They arrest him at night, and they have a mock of a trial. Uh, They have several trials, and, and he's not legally represented. There's no reason he should be found guilty, yet he is. And so then once he's found guilty, the orders are put through that the soldiers should, should whip him. And they whip him and they rip apart the flesh on his back. And he's covered in blood already. He's already bleeding from this intense prayer from the night before. And now he's bleeding from the rips on his back, from the beating, from the punches in the face, from everything in between. They've beaten him. They've made a crown of thorns and thrust it on his head. They've put a, a robe on his back and mocked him and then ripped it off so to which they reopen all those wounds that have now healed and connected to the, to the robe. He's in extreme pain. And this is where we find him in Mark 15, verse 21. It's an intense story, and if you have little kids in here that you feel this might be too much, I want to encourage you, maybe if you need to step out, do so, because we're going to dive into what Mark shares. And we're going to stick with this text, but Mark wants us to know what happened. Mark is the briefest of all the crucifixion stories of the Gospels. He's short and direct and to the point, As we've seen throughout his writing, his his idea is always immediately then this and then this. And that's what he does here. He doesn't get into much details, but he lets us know this happened. And this happened. And this happened to our Lord. And this happened to our Lord. And this happened to our Savior. So Mark 15, verse 21, says a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, were passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. The Roman soldiers grabbed Simon and forced him to carry it. Simon, uh, Cyrene is an area in North Africa. It's now Libya. It had a large Jewish population, and, and he's here in Jerusalem. We don't know exactly why. It says that he was coming from a field. Perhaps he was working. Perhaps he's here for Passover. Either way, he was just going by with his sons. Either way, he's much like you and I, right? He's got kids, and he's got demands. He's coming from work, or he's trying to lead this festival. He's probably got bills to pay, uh, a wife that he's trying to get home to. He's got the kids, and they're probably nagging at him. Dad, give us candy, and and all this stuff. This is his life. He's he's got his own pains. There's a pain in his hip. He's been working all all day, and he can't seem to get a break. He's got the pressures of the world already on him. And the Roman soldiers grab him and say, you, carry the cross. And he couldn't resist. He can't say no to the Roman soldiers or his boys are going to be orphans themselves. And he's got to sit there and think, why? Isn't the prisoner supposed to carry his own cross? Because that was the, the Roman law that the prisoner would carry the crossbeam to the place of their crucifixion. It was almost a way just to mock, to taunt the prisoner one more time before their death. And so this is what Jesus was trying to do, but because of the beating, because of the weakness, of the, uh, because of the loss of blood, he's fallen too many times, and the soldiers in an impatient hurry to get to killing him grab a stranger out of the crowd and say, you carry his cross. And you picture Simon telling his boys, it's okay, boys, just stay, stay close. We'll, we'll get out of here soon. Stay close to me, because there's a crowd, there's a mob. He doesn't want to lose Rufus and Alexander. Stay, stay close, boys. And he goes over and he bends down and he sees what he thought was just a prisoner. But he sees a bloody mess of a man. He sees someone that's been beaten and the skin ripped apart. He sees someone that's had his face punched and kicked. He sees someone that's weak and broken. And he bends down and he sees him. And Jesus looks him in the eye, I picture. And at that point, I gotta think, Simon's thought... There's something different. He's seen the other, two sold, the other two prisoners who are already up the hill carrying their cross. And, and he sees something different about this man. And he helps Jesus up. And, and I picture him leaning him against a building and then bending over, picking up the crossbeam. And leaning against Jesus and the crossbeam. And they begin to walk their way to the, to the place of the skull. It says they brought Jesus to the place, of Gal, place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Some say it looks like a skull. I think we have a picture of it. You can see kind of the eyes, the nose below. Some say this is why it was called that. Perhaps it was just called that because this is where the executions took place. This is where the bodies would, lay, would remain until wild animals and birds would pick at the flesh. And perhaps the skull was all that remained. And they take him here. It says, then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. If you remember, if you're following along, Jesus at the Last Supper and said he would not drink from the cup again until his glory in the kingdom. So he doesn't take the drink there, and it says, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. For the Romans, the whole point of execution was to dis- to dis- to distract others from ever committing the crime again, to humiliate the criminal. And the final step of this humiliation is they would take all the clothes off the criminal and display them naked, hanging for all the world to see. And there wasn't many perks of being the executioner, but one perk there was was you got to keep the, the spoils of the execution. You got to keep the clothes of the prisoner. And so here they're dividing up the clothes that Jesus has. It says it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The, writing, the, written notice, the written notice of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. They would put the charge of why the person was a prisoner, why the person was being executed on the cross, so that way everyone would know, that way parents could bring their kids by and say, See, this is what happens if you murder. This is what happens if you go against Rome. This is what happens if you steal. And it was served as a reminder to all of the people to all the people and their children, this is what happens if you cross Rome. And so here Pilate has written, King of the Jews. The Jews were not happy about this. They, they fight Pilate, and Pilate says, I've written what I've written, and he won't continue the fight with them. I don't know if Pilate was mocking Jesus, if perhaps Pilate meant it. This was the King of the Jews, but this is what he has written. As I said, Mark just gives us a little glimpse, fact after fact after fact. And the next it says, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Remember not too long ago, we had James and John asking Jesus, pulling him aside and say, hey, when we're in your kingdom, can we be at your right hand? Can we be at your left hand? Can we be the number one and number two seeds? Those guys are long gone. Instead, the one on the right and the one on the left are two criminals. It says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teacher of the law mocked him and amongst themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the king of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe they crucified him, those crucifying him also heaped insults on him. Mark is bringing this whole story to completion. And remember time after time in the book of Mark we see those asking for signs is a sign of unbelief. So here they're saying one more time, show us, show us Jesus, you're the Messiah. One more time they're proclaiming, we don't believe. We don't believe. It says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Some people have written this off as a sandstorm. The the sandstorm will come through the the Middle East and it'll wipe out the sun, but if that was the case, you'd think one of the four Gospels would have recorded the, the wind that recorded the sand that swept in. Others have said this was an eclipse, but an eclipse is just momentary. No, this was darkness. This was creation crying out in sympathy that the one that created it is dying on a cross. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm 95 says, In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Jesus was the one that created this creation, and creation is crying out because of what is happening on this place of the skull. It says, And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabathani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's books written on this verse. What did he mean? What's going on? But you got to think. Think of all that Jesus has been through. Now, all that mankind could withstand, Jesus has in beatings and in lashings and in nails being pierced through his arm and, and humiliation and, and being displayed naked and people mocking him in every imaginable thing. But the part that is the ultimate for him is he feels like God has left him because the sins of all mankind. The sins of Adam and Eve and of Abraham and of Moses and of David, of Ruth and Esther. The sins of the the disciples that have scattered. The sins of you and I are heaping down upon his shoulders at this moment. Hmm. It says, when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down. Again, they're mocking him. And the last thing that Jesus hears, as he's dying on the cross, as he's suffering, as, as suffocation finally takes over and his eyes close, see he hears people mocking him, says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The climax of this year, the climax of those three years of ministry, the climax of all mankind... Is right here, because his love for you and I, he died. It says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's significant. This curtain, many believe, uh, the Bible doesn't give us dimensions, but through through Jewish tradition, they believe it was sixty foot high, six stories, four inches thick. This curtain. And this curtain was made to uh, to keep people. This is to keep them away from the holiest place. The temple was set up that it was progressively more exclusive. That it starts out with the court of Gentiles, and then the court of women, then the court of Israel, meaning the Jewish men, then the, court, the inner temple. Then finally, and in all those ways, the court of Gentiles only Gentiles could get to. Then all the Jews could come to the women. Then just the Jewish men could come to the court of Israel. Then to the inner temple was just the priest. But then, then. There's a small place behind this big 60-foot-tall, four-inch-thick curtain is the Holy of Holies, which is where it is believed that God reside. And only once a year could the high priest go in there for the Day of Atonement, to atone for the sins of the people of Israel, that they would go in there. And when the priest would go in, they would even tie a rope to him. So if for some reason he died while he was in there, no one else would go. They would just pull him back. That's how holy this is. And the curtain has been ripped, not from the bottom, which is what if man was to do it, because that's the only way you'd be able to rip a curtain, right? Because if it's 60 foot tall, you're gonna start from the bottom. But from top to bottom, because God rips this open. And our sins are now atoned for. There's no longer this barrier between God and us. There is no longer the separation. It has been ripped wide open at the death of Jesus. We now have access to God. We have been atoned for our sins. Hebrews 10 says, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And I love Mark's writing. Remember how Mark opened up? It says that the heavens tore open at the baptism of Jesus. The heavens tore open and and, they heard, and the spirit came down and they heard God's voice. And so the two bookends of Jesus's ministry is the heavens ripping open and us having access to God. It says, when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. This man that hasn't followed Jesus along for the three years, this man that hasn't read the book of Mark. This man that doesn't perhaps even know what's going on, probably a, a centurion that's asked, "Hey, well, I know what he did. He's a murderer. I, I know what he did. He tried to rise an in insurrection. What's this guy do?" And perhaps he heard the stories of uh, of the miracles. Perhaps he heard the stories of the teaching. He can read King of the Jews, and at his death, at the darkness that's rolled over for three hours, at the earthquake that rips the curtain apart. He says, this surely is the Son of God. This is the first Gentile convert. As Mark is writing to the Romans. It says, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. Sol- In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him from Jerusalem were also there. So women have been by his side throughout their, his ministry and throughout his death. And now they too are broken hearted in disbelief that this could happen. So Jesus has died. And it says it was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear they'd already died. Some in the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. Uh, Jesus was only on the cross for six hours. A normal crucifixion took about 12, sometimes, for some horrible souls, they suffered for two or three days. It says, when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. The criminal's body was rarely collected. No one wanted to say, that's my son, that's, that's my relative. No one wanted to say, hey, can I have that body off the cross? The criminals were just thrown in, into the landfill, uh, a burning landfill outside of Jer- Jerusalem, which Jesus had referred to earlier as an analogy for hell. But Jesus' body is saved. So, so Joseph brought, brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laying. The death of Jesus was not an accident. This, this, he is now placed in this tomb, and a stone is rolled. A heavy stone that's an immovable stone is rolled in its place. And this death was not an accident. As we have now read through chapter 15 of Mark, I want to read to you some prophecies from 700 years earlier, from 1,000 years earlier. And look how these line up with what we just read. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen: they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Isaiah fifty-three, twelve: because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Psalm 22, 6 through 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him, let him deliver him, since his delights in him. These are all prophecies from long ago. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. They pierce my hands and my feet. Amos 8, 9. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Isaiah 53, 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This was all the plan. We talk about this is the climax of our year of studying this, of the climax of Jesus' three years of ministry. No, this is the climax of all of time, this is the climax of creation. This is what's been prophesied through the Old Testament. This is what God had planned initially when they created the heavens and the earth. He knew that Jesus would be the sacrifice for all mankind, that he would be the one to bring atonement, that our sins would be washed away, that we would be made clean, that we would have at full access to God, no longer a barrier separating us from the Lord because of Jesus. And Jesus was crucified. For you and I, He's willing to die for us. For His love was so great that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Was it fair? No. As we've explored, as we've studied, as we've shared, Jesus was without sin. Jesus was the unblemished lamb, Jesus was the Passover lamb. And he was sacrificed for you and I, that we would have eternal life in heaven through him. Was it fair? By no means. Was it ugly? Yeah. Henry Nouwen tells a story uh, of a family he he knew in Paraguay. The family, there was a father, he was a doctor, and he spoke out against the military regime and against the human rights violations. And in an effort to squelch the doctor, the local police took revenge on him by arresting his teenage son and having the son tortured to death. The townsfolk all wanted to turn the boy's funeral into huge protests, to, to come together and fight the government. But the doctor chose a different means of protest. At the funeral, the father displayed his son's body just as he found it in the jail. Naked, scarred from electric shock and cigarette burns and the beatings. All the villagers filed past the corpse, which lay not in a coffin, but on a blood-soaked mattress from the prison. It was the strongest protest imaginable, for it put injustice on grotesque display. Isn't that what God did on Calvary? The cross held Jesus' body, naked and marked with scars, exposing all the violence and injustice of this world. And on that cross, it showed this gross unfairness. And it also showed God's sacrificial love for us. This is a heavy message. This is a heavy morning. This is a heavy segment in this book. Because Jesus died and he didn't deserve it. He died for you and for me. There's a couple new people we met in the story. There's the centurion, and his reaction to Jesus' death is one of belief. This is how the centurion responded. And I hope if there are people here that need to accept Jesus for the first time or need to just share that this Jesus is in my heart, that I'm accepting him as my Savior, that I'm thankful that I'm no longer separated from God, and I'm thankful that my sins are atoned for as the centurion, I hope you will do so. Come see us afterwards. Come meet us in the prayer room. Proclaim this. If you want to get baptized today, we, we got a baptismal. We could do it right now. This was the centurion's response. Surely this was the Son of God. We also met Simon of Cyrene. Remember the guy from Libya that that was pulled out of a crowd and had to carry the cross? I got to think in that walk, that walk with Jesus, he saw something different. I got thinking that walk with Jesus, that he experienced who Jesus was, that something clicked, that even in that short time, even in perhaps words weren't spoken, that something clicked that he is the son of God as he walked with Jesus. And remember his kids? I don't know if you remember It's Alexander and Rufus. When Paul is writing to the Roman church, remember Mark is writing to the Roman church. Mark's gospel is written for the Romans who are under persecution, who are reading this in the catacombs uh, on the Lord's day, trying to get together and to hear what Jesus did. Mark writes this, and I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that he points out Simon of Cyrene and his two sons, Alexander and Rufus, because years later we see Paul writing to the Romans in his book in the Romans in chapter 16. He says, Greet Rufus. Many believe it's the same boy now grown up as a leader of the Roman church. This little boy saw his daddy. Walk with Jesus. And Rufus was forever changed. This is how they responded. So as I said, this morning's a heavy one. But how do you respond? How do you respond to this story? Normally we try to leave service in a, a happy note to tie a bow. There wasn't a bow tied that day. For the centurion, for Simon, Jesus is dead. For the disciples, for the women, Jesus is dead. For the high priest and Pilate, Jesus is dead. How did they respond? How do you respond? For the centurion, he responded in faith. I believe for Simon, he responded by going and grabbing his boys going and having a big conversation. For the women, they responded by standing by Jesus' side. For the disciples, they responded scattering in the darkness. How do you respond when we realize the depth of this story that Jesus has died? Darkness is over the land and the tomb is closed.